You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Labal malware steps its way through layered defenses. Cryptocurrency mining campaigns go after Monero with XM Rig, WannaMine, and other toolkits. It's not a victimless crime either. CPUs can be rendered effectively unusable. Influence operations are tracked in Twitter and Facebook. Dutch intelligence services penetrated Cozy Bear and shared warnings with allied services. Russia demanded and got source code access as a condition of doing business. Stacey Higginbotham from the Internet of Things podcast shares her views on IoT security and a creepy exploit of password recovery utilities. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Friday, January 26, 2018. Layered defenses in depth that involve a complementary mix of automated tools, user awareness, and human analysts and watchstanders have for some time been the default best practice in enterprise security. But of course, as is always the case in conflict, defenders are up against adversaries who observe, orient, decide, and act, tuning their attack to the defender's vulnerabilities. Researchers at Komodo Threat Research Labs are reporting an interesting campaign that constitutes a kind of layered attack designed to get around layered defenses. Komodo calls it a complicated chain to bypass technical security means and deceive human intelligence. The malware involved is called Labal, and as so often happens, infection begins with a phishing email. The fish bait presents itself as a message from FedEx telling the victim that a package couldn't be delivered because it exceeded a non-existent free deliver limit. If you want your package, the email explains, you must go pick it up from a nearby outlet. To do so, you must click a link to download a label you'll need to present in order to get your parcel. The link, of course, is malicious, and it's disguised as a Google Drive link. The hackers have presented plenty of reassuring markers in the address bar, like secure and HTTPS and drive.google.com. And the label itself appears to be an Adobe Acrobat document, but the malware payload it carries scans the infected machine and steals all manner of information, cookies and credentials, email, instant messenger clients, and in a big payoff it looks for cryptocurrency wallets it can rifle. The researchers say the campaign is targeting some 30 email servers. It's connected to an IP address and domain in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Cryptocurrency mining shows no signs of slacking off. Right now the criminal world seems to have shifted its attention from Bitcoin to Monero. The XM Rig campaign 
being followed by Palo Alto and others, has now infected more than 15 million users with unwanted mining software. XM Rig misuses URL shortener Bitly to hide red flags from users it seeks to induce to click malicious ads. Other mining campaigns are in full swing. Security company Dr. Webb reports that Windows systems running some versions of the Cleverance Mobile Smarts server, a legitimate Russian product that automates various industrial and logistical processes, are being infected with malicious DLL files that mine Monero. Trend Micro is following a similar campaign against Apache Struts and .NET Nuke servers, and Palo Alto Networks is tracking a mass effort to infect individual users through file-sharing sites, retail rather than wholesale infestations. Panda Security describes WannaMine, which is fileless malware used in what are being characterized as smash-and-grab attacks. As its name suggests, WannaMine makes use of the same exploits as WannaCry, but instead of encrypting files, it worms its way into systems to install a miner. Perhaps you're tempted to ask, well, what's the big deal? Sure, I'd rather not be running some random guy's program on my device, but after all, I'm not always using that CPU power, and they're not stealing anything from me anyway. No harm, no foul, right? Well, no, generous live-and-let-live soul. These miners and other like them aren't a relatively harmless nuisance. They burn power, of course, and they also hog more CPU resources than you might imagine. CrowdStrike warns that mining is so computationally intensive that it routinely renders affected CPUs unusable. Turning to news of information operations, the British Parliament is dissatisfied with what many MPs take to be Twitter's evasiveness over how its platform may have been used to influence the UK's Brexit vote. Facebook reports its introspective conclusion that Russian agents were found behind 129 promoted events during the election cycle. Dutch intelligence services are reported to have penetrated Cozy Bear before the FSB threat actor hit the U.S. Democratic National Committee. They shared warnings with their American colleagues. Symantec, SAP, and McAfee are reported to have submitted source code for inspection by Russian security organs. Such inspection was apparently a precondition for doing business in Russia. This has disturbed observers because of the possibility that such inspection might reveal exploitable vulnerabilities. Finally, in news of crime and punishment, one Mr. Jonathan Powell of Phoenix, Arizona, has received a prison sentence after his conviction in a case involving his intrusion into university students' email and social media accounts. He gained access to a utility IT staffs use to help students when the students forget their passwords. And why? He was looking for explicit pictures female students might have cached in their accounts. Creepy, yeah, and well-deserving of a sabbatical in the big house. It's also bizarre. With all the free adult content on the internet, it seems the stalking had to be part of the thrill Mr. Powell was after, because it seems unlikely this represented a market failure. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Strategist at CenturyLink. Dale, welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, good to have you back. Uh, what are we in for this year, Dale? What, do you, what are your thoughts? What, what, do we, uh, what do we need to batten down the hatches and be ready for? Uh, well, you know, I think 2018 is going to be a very interesting year from a cybersecurity perspective. Um, I would call 2017 sort of the tipping point with hmm. regards to, to security. You know, we... We saw a migration from bad guys mostly focusing on on obtaining reputation, you know, getting a name for themselves, to the community finding a way to make revenue from attacks. Not not just the professionals, but pretty much anybody. We we saw a lot more people focusing on the revenue side of collecting uh, from victims than we than we've ever seen before. Hmm. I think that uh, another thing is. We saw, with regards to the level of sophistication in attacks that were previously reserved for nation states, we're seeing a much more commodity of sophistication being available to the bad guys. So, you know, things like the Mariah botnet, that botnet has been modified so many times to be able to take advantage of that sort of ecosystem and that infrastructure, but then be able to tailor it to specific sort of attacks and specific sort of campaigns for the more commodity attacker. And then we're also seeing victims um, who just, well, I want to say this politely, victims are paying to reduce the nuisance factor. Hmm. They're not necessarily interested in solving the overall solution for the ecosystem. They just want the problem to go away. So when they get hit with a ransomware attack, they're not interested in participating in the global excursion of how to stop ransomware. They just want the ransomware off their system so they can get back to business. So we saw a, a pretty large explosion in people paying for DDoS extortion, pay, people paying for ransomware extortion, and then typically coming to us after the second or third time that the bad guy goes back to the till uh, to get more money. How much of that do you think is uh, looking to minimize reputational damage? Oh, I think it's it's almost 
I'm, it's almost exclusively dedicated to protecting that that company's brand yeah. and making sure that they can get back to the business of doing business, right? When when desktops are encrypted and your end users, your employees cannot conduct business, that's going to get noticed very, very quickly by by your customers and by your investors and by the outside public. And so sure. they, they want that to be reduced or eliminated as quickly as possible to get back to the business of doing business. So this idealized notion, you know, we, the, the, uh, the good guys always say don't pay the bad guys. When it comes down to it, uh, from a practical point of view, sometimes people still choose to pay the bad guys. Uh, absolutely, and we're seeing a very sharp increase in that, which means that there's much more motivation for the bad guys to increase ransomware. If you remember in 2017, we saw one of the first spam-based ransomware attacks where instead of targeting specific companies and specific industries, we saw bad guys essentially – you know, flash mob ransomware out to as many victims as they possibly could, expecting only a small percentage of people to pay, but getting a pretty large payout in the end. And they were surprised, just as we were, that it was a fairly large number of people who ended up paying uh, for those, those, those ransomware attacks. And we now expect to see a lot more ransomware, spam-based, you know, botnet-driven uh, sort of attacks to occur in 2018. Do you suppose this is a year we're going to gain any ground? Well, you know, I, I, do, I do think that, that we're sharing more information across the community better and faster than we ever have, that we've seen a step function of, of evolution from the bad guys from uh, 2016 to 2017 and not a step evolution in response from the good guys. And so, you know, the good guys are scrambling to be able to, you know, collaborate together to find that step function to get ahead of this. Hmm. Um, you know, whereas we were, you know, a, a step either ahead or a step behind uh, the bad guy, we're now several steps behind the bad guy, and we have to catch up. All right. Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you for having me. And don't forget to check out our special edition covering what you might expect in 2018 from cybersecurity. It's on our website. You can also find it in your podcast feed. My guest today is Stacy Higginbotham. She's a journalist and producer and host of the Internet of Things podcast, a weekly exploration of all things IoT. She's got a weekly IoT newsletter as well, which you can sign up for on her website, iotpodcast.com. Why don't you start with uh, the origin story there? What brought you to uh, start the podcast? I was forced to many, many years ago at GigaOM. One of our colleagues was like, hey, you know what? You should start a podcast. I was like, oh, no. But I did it, and we decided to do the Internet of Things. This was probably back in, oh, goodness, 2013, so a long time ago. Mm. And I started doing it, and he was like, you are terrible all by yourself. You need a co-host. And so my colleague at the time was Kevin Tofel, and he was like, I'll do it. That's how it started. It's not very glamorous. And then when Giga oh, went under, Kevin and I were having so much fun, plus we were kind of traumatized by the loss of our livelihoods. So we were like, you know what? Let's keep the podcast going. So we started it up again. And even when I was working at Fortune, I was still doing the podcast on the side because it was super fun. And then I decided to really focus in on the internet of things. And Fortune was kind of like, eh, we're not that into it. Hmm. So I was like, let's do the podcast full time. And so far it's worked. Yeah. Well, one of the things I, I like about your show is that uh, there's something for everyone. You know, have you have stuff uh, for consumers and you have stuff for enterprise folks and you even dig into the, how IoT works in your own life with your family. 
It's true. Um, I am a really technical person, although I am not like a computer scientist. And I love learning how things work. So I think that that's kind of the spirit Kevin and I both approach the show with. And we really believed and have since the very beginning that you have to try this stuff because marketers are going to market. And Lord knows that in the real world, tech products often behave badly. And, and from a security point of view, what sorts of things uh, are, are on your radar? What are some of the things you think we need to pay attention to? I am still searching for a good security model for the Internet of Things. Hmm. I feel like, so I've been in this space for two decades, uh, this space being just technology. I've covered chips and cloud and data and all kinds of other stuff. So I feel like we had we came up with some decent models with the cloud, but we don't have something for IoT, for edge-based devices that are low in resources, so very tiny sensors, we don't have, and we don't have a way to scale out security programs to the masses. And the Internet of Things is bringing in a lot of companies that have never worried about cybersecurity or IT security before into this world. And we have to make it easier for them. So we have to have set standards and we don't. I, I really actually am one of the people who believe that the government should set some standards here hmm. because absent those, you don't know what goal you're working for. So someone, UL will say something secure or another lab will say something secure. But really, you don't as a consumer or even as like an enterprise software or device buyer, you don't actually know what matters there. And right now, the burden is all on the consumers and it's. It's not cool. What sort of policy framework would you like to see? Oh, that is the killer question because I still <laughs> don't think we have a security model. And that's that's where I'd like to start. So I don't know how we actually go about doing this. Is there like a security API that you can just put on a device? There's so many companies offering like an agent. There's a really interesting startup I just talked to called Vidu, and they're trying to build, oh man, they're trying to just attack the problem from everywhere at once. So it's it's difficult, but they're trying to build a list of, they're trying to tier devices and then they're trying to build a list of vulnerabilities, known vulnerabilities and best practices for each class of device. And they're pulling in your device firmware and then data on what it's supposed to do to categorize it and then send you that information. The end goal is to have an agent running on your device from them in a non-production, like in a test QA environment. And that agent's just going to keep reporting back as things change in, you know, threat detection, vulnerabilities, the software of the device. And so something like that seems really interesting, but it also seems really hard coming from a startup, right? Yeah. So that's that in blockchain. So there's some really interesting blockchain models, but I'm still not convinced that that's... But it's closer because it's decentralized and authenticated. Hmm. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to just throw buzzwords out there. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I understand. So, I mean, look, looking ahead towards this coming year, what are the things that excite you? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to hopefully things becoming more automated, more context coming into my smart home stuff. I'm looking forward to better data privacy practices, it brought a, brought about in part by companies trying to comply with GDPR. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing the next crazy level of devices that people are coming up with. Like computer vision has come so far. So I'm like, Ooh, what are we going to be able to do with that? 
So in addition to consumer-facing things, you focus on the industrial side of things. What's What's got your attention on that side? I think the biggest thing is applying that security model I talked about earlier, figuring out something for that side, because those guys, they don't have... They don't have an IT staff that does security and their cybersecurity efforts are geared in a slightly different direction. So I, I actually think both sides could learn from each other on the industrial side. I think they could learn more about agility and over the air updates and things like that. On the IT side, I actually think there's a lot of really good pra- like best practices that the industrial side already does. So they actually do a lot of training with their employees aimed at cybersecurity. So, you know, talking about the information they post online, telling them not to, you know, plug in USB drives that they find in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. A a lot of those kind of things, they actually spend time with all of their employees talking to them and and training them on that, which I think is really valuable and probably should happen everywhere. Um, So that's one. And then the other thing I would say for the industrial side and the enterprise side is we need to figure out a way to put security in on the manufacturing side of devices. And we need to get some accountability among people in the supply chain to actually say, hey, wait, I just saw that you did this and that is not a great implementation. You know, we need to get get more communication along the supply chain and pushback between manufacturers building up to a connected product there. That is Stacy Higginbotham. She's a journalist and producer and host of the Internet of Things podcast. You can find her show on iTunes and also at iotpodcast.com. Check it out. And we'll have an extended version of this interview on our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash the cyberwire. Our supporters get first act. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Access to it, and then in a few days, everyone can check it out. We hope you will. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.